What a delight to be with you here on this uh, uh, greatest day in human history we celebrate. If you had a computer with you right now and you typed in, what is the greatest song that has ever been written? Do you know what you'd find? Many of the top, many of the polls say the greatest song ever written, number one, is Imagine by John Lennon. That's what you'd find. That would be listed as number one. Here's some of the words. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine nothing to kill or die for and no religion too. That's in our culture and around the world. It's one of the greatest songs ever written, so they say. And so today... I'm going to point you to a person in the Bible who would have written a song very similar if, in fact, what John Lennon wrote was true. Because the Apostle Paul, in the greatest chapter in the Bible on the resurrection, that's 1 Corinthians 15, he is going to imagine there's no resurrection. And that's what John Lennon was imagining. There is no religion. There is no heaven. All you live for is today. And so the Apostle Paul, 2,000 years before John Lennon, is going to take up the same thought. He's going to speak to the people at Corinth. Corinth is one of the most important cities in the ancient world. He's going to talk to them and say, okay, what would be true if there was no resurrection? And it's pretty important. So if you have a Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is our text. And basically what he's going to say, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then we as Christians, we have no Christ. Our message is completely meaningless. The people who proclaim it are a bunch of liars. That message is actually damaging to human beings. It's a bunch of wishful thinking, and it's a pitiful sham, anyone who believes it. That's pretty strong stuff. He would have made John Lennon's song seem like a kindergartner song. Paul takes it way farther than he does. If Jesus was not raised from the dead, we're absolute idiots to be here today, along with roughly 2.5 billion people on earth. We're pitiful is what Paul says. But, in verse 20, he says, but Christ has been risen from the dead. And as a result... It's incredibly the opposite. So come with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. Now, a little bit of background. Remember, Paul is writing this letter to the people in Corinth. Corinth is in what country? Greece. What do you know about Greece? Can you think of any famous Greeks? Oh, Alexander the Great, of course, one of the greatest military geniuses in the history of the world. Many people say the three greatest philosophers in the history of the world are Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. All Greeks, all from Athens. The main one is Plato. Plato is considered probably the greatest philosopher of all times. He lived roughly 300 years before the time that Paul lived, even more than that. 
And he, being the dominant thinker in the whole world, he's the most important thinker in the world. This is what he taught. He taught that the essence of a human being is your soul. And these souls are perfect of ours, but these souls are corrupted. Our, every one of our souls is corrupted. And what corrupts your soul is your body. That's what corrupts you. And so the goal of your life is to get rid of your body so that your soul can fly around in the cosmos forever and ever as a spirit, but no body. Why? Because the body is evil. Because the body is the prison of the soul. The goal of life is to get rid of your body. That's why you live. You live to get rid of your body because then you won't have to suffer with sin anymore because this is where sin comes from, these bodies. And who believed that? Everybody. Everybody back then, with few exceptions, believed that the resurrection was spiritual. Hocus pocus, but not body. But now you've got a problem because out of a grave, somebody who was certifiably dead by one of the most cruel possible means of killing a person, crucifixion. He walked out of a grave and he wasn't Casper the friendly ghost. He was a human being who they could touch, who they could see, who they could hear, who they could smell, who they could taste if they wanted, who cooked meals, who ate food, who appeared and disappeared, who flew. And now they're stuck. What do we do with this human being who has conquered death, but in a body. Now, 30 years after Jesus was gone from this earth, there was a church in this town called Corinth, one of the most important towns in the world, a city. And there were people in that church who were all Greeks. And so they believed that Jesus was Casper the friendly ghost. Why? Because that's all they knew. They believed that the resurrection was spiritual, not physical, not bodily. Well, you got a problem with that because, well, Paul's going to tell us what the problem is. Here's verse 12. If it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Now, these people believe because of the philosophy of their day, and we have the same. We have a philosophy of our days, many philosophies. But their philosophy was resurrection is spiritual. It is not physical. And so the apostle Paul said, if that's true, we've got a problem. You see, we live in a culture today in which many, many people are materialists. They believe that this body, once we die, is a bunch of chemicals and those chemicals turn to dirt, and that's all she wrote. That's all you've got. That's the end of life. There are many people in our, in our world, numbering way more than a billion, who believe in reincarnation. That when you die, it, the body, again, this is back, some of it comes back to Plato. The body is, is just a, it's a prison. And now your spirit goes from one body to another, the transmigration of the spirit. But the body is, is, is irrelevant. We have people who, who don't believe that there can be anything supernatural. There cannot be a resurrection body because that's a supernatural act. And 
by definition, there is nothing that's supernatural because everything is natural. Well, who believed this? The people in the church in Corinth. They believed that the resurrection was spiritual and Jesus was a ghost. And by the way, the first real problem the church had to deal with was not the divinity of Jesus. It was the humanity of Jesus. They couldn't believe that God could become a human being and could live in a human body. Because by definition, remember, if you say the body by definition is evil, then you can't have a sinless Jesus. So now the apostle Paul is going to take up on John Lennon, even though he's 2,000 years before him, and say, okay, let's take your hypothesis. There is no bodily resurrection. And if we take that hypothesis, where does that lead us? And it's a very dangerous place. The first thing he says that if there is no bodily resurrection from the dead, then Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. Here's what it says, verse 13. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Because you see, Christianity without the bodily resurrection of Jesus is Christless. There's no Christ. It's called eanity. We believe in eanity, or you might want to call it insanity. Christianity without Christ is insanity, not Christianity. It's insanity. Because if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, you've got a big bunch of problems. You see, people in the church believe that Jesus was kind of a floating spirit, and he kind of looked like a, maybe a zombie. He was a zombie. We love zombies today. But no, he wasn't a zombie. You see, one of the earliest identifiable problems the Christians faced was called Gnosticism. Gnosticism comes from the word which means knowledge. There were people that say, we have special knowledge. We have special knowledge that Jesus was, in fact, Casper the friendly ghost. He was just a ghost. And John, the apostle John, who was writing at the time that these Gnostics were teaching in the churches, he said, no, no, I touched him. I ate with him. I saw him. I heard him. Every one of my five senses was engaged with Jesus over a long period of time. He was not a ghost. But you see, if you take away the bodily resurrection, Jesus is just a ghost. And if Jesus is a ghost, we have no Christ. Now remember what happened when the word got out that Jesus' body was not in the grave? The Jewish leaders went to the Roman leaders and said, hey dudes, we got a problem. We've got a big problem. Because they might pass off this idea that this Jesus was raised from the dead because people tell us he told us that repeatedly before he died. He said, I will be killed, but I'm going to raise from the dead. But you see, their mortal fear, their mortal fear was not that Casper the friendly ghost went up to heaven. Their mortal fear was that Jesus would turn up alive physically. Because if that would happen... The religious leaders called the Sadducees who are in deep trouble because they didn't believe in a resurrection. It would complicate the Romans' political authority because now you have a person who they would declare as king of the Jews who was raised from the dead. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders who said he was a fraud, have now got themselves into really deep weeds. But you see, if you remove the bodily resurrection, Christianity is insanity. It's not christ -tianity. 
but it goes on. In verse 14, look at what he says. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. You see, if there's no bodily resurrection of the dead, then the gospel message is meaningless. The centerpiece of who we are as Christians, the centerpiece of it is what's called the good news. What is the good news? It is so simple. Jesus died for our sins and was raised from the dead. That's it. That's pretty simple. But you see, if Christ was not raised from the dead and did not defeat death by his bodily resurrection, our gospel is not correct. Our preaching is pointless. Our message is meaningless. And our hope is a bunch of hot air. You see, the centerpiece of the gospel is the good news about Jesus' death, which took care of our sin, and then his resurrection, which defeated sin's greatest patriot, death. But without the resurrection, we're dead as a doornail spiritually. You see, everything about our message is gone if Jesus Christ was not raised from the dead. Over the last 100 years, they say the greatest philosopher in the world is a man named Bertrand Russell. He wrote a book entitled, or an article entitled, Why I Am Not a Christian. He was an atheist. And he said basically that religion is illogical to the human mind. And I would say, hey, Mr. Russ, Dr. Russell, whatever your name is, you're right. You remove Jesus' resurrection from the gospel, and it is illogical to the human mind. You see, if Christ is not raised from the dead, Christianity is bad news. It's not good news. And what is the superior option is what Bertrand Russell said. No, don't go for religion. Go for humanism. What is humanism? Summed up by William Henning in Invictus. Here it is. Out of the night that covers me black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be, for my inconquerable soul, beyond this place of wrath and tears, looms but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of years finds me and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. You see, if Jesus is not raised from the dead, that's our gospel. That's our gospel. Be the master of your own fate. Be the captain of your own soul. Invictus is our message. Not Christ, the victor. But it gets worse. Because he's now going to say in the next verses, the next verse 15, that if there is no bodily resurrection from the dead, then the apostles are liars. Go to your internet and type this in. I did this. What are the 10 sleaziest ways to make a living? <laughs> I wasn't looking for information, but... <laughs> well, I, I'm sorry, I, I was. Do you know what the top seven are? Here's the sleaziest. Number one, drug dealer. Number two, an organized crime boss. Number three, a TV evangelist. Number four, a street peddler. Number five, a prostitute. Number six, a politician. Yeah, you agree with that one. And number seven, a car salesman. 
We preachers are way worse than the prostitutes. Now, what do all these professions have in common? They deceive people. They're professional liars. All of those who are in these professions are professional liars. They lie as part of their work. That's what they do. And Paul writes this. More than that, we apostles are found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. The apostles, then, are are false witnesses. And if the apostles are false witnesses about the resurrection of Jesus, how in the world or why in the world would you believe anything they wrote? And what did they write? The New Testament. Karl Marx, the the father of communism, the one whose thinking is today very much present in our world. Here's what he taught. He taught that religion, these are his words, is the sigh of the oppressed creature. It is the opium of the masses. And if Christ is not raised from the dead, he's right. You see, if Jesus was not raised from the dead, then the apostles in Karl Marx's mindset are basically drug dealers. That's what we are. We're dispensing opium to people to give them a false high by which we get our own personal profit. We neutralize them so that they don't claim their rightful slice of the pie of the money of the world. You see, it is not not by accident that there's a rise in Marxist thinking in our world today. If you eliminate Jesus, Marx makes sense a little bit. Not too much, but it makes sense. You see, Paul says, if in fact Jesus is not raised from the dead, the apostles are liars. But it gets worse. Because in verses 16 and 17, he's going to say that you religious people who have this notion that God forgives your sins. (laughs) That's a bunch of wishful thinking. If there's no bodily resurrection of the dead, then sin succeeds and death and forgiveness fails. Here's what Paul wrote. For if the death are not raised, dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Now, I don't know about you, but I know about myself and I think I know about most of you in this room. We have a deep, deep, deep sense that because of what Jesus did when he died on the cross, He dealt with our sin, which is a huge problem. Past, present, and future. And because Jesus died on the cross, that's what we celebrated on Good Friday. Because he died on the cross, sin's penalty has been paid in full. The power of sin, though we still sin, has been broken. And the presence of sin will be wiped out so that we have the hope of living in heaven with God. We we believe, we teach that we have a sin-conquering Savior who paid the penalty for our sin, who broke the stranglehold of sin, who assuaged the holy wrath of God, and who freed us from the bondage of sin. That's what we believe. But if Christ didn't rise, sin won. Perhaps the most significant psychological thinker. By the way, have you noticed that I've taken the greatest thinkers in our whole world over the last couple hundred years? The greatest the greatest psychological thinker in our whole world over the last 100 years is Sigmund Freud. He tried to understand what is this religious stuff that people are into? And here's what he came up with. 
religious faith is nothing more than wishful thinking that may give people a sense of hope, but ultimately keeps them in a state of perpetual immaturity. And if Jesus Christ is not raised from the dead, he is right. Because this idea that we have that that I can live a, a life free of guilt and shame because all of my guilt, my shame, my sin has been borne by Jesus. I can live free. That's wishful thinking. Come on. It's not true. Deal with it. But it gets worse. I've never met anyone who likes to speak of their departed loved one as worm food. I mean, have you ever been to, you know, someone said, oh, my my beloved so-and-so died and they're just worm food. Have you heard that lately? No. The reason you don't hear that is because the vast majority of Americans believe in heaven. And this is how heaven is defined. A place where those who have led good lives are eternally rewarded. By the way, I don't think that's what heaven is. I think that's absolute bunk, but most Americans believe it anyway, so that's great. Still, still it's garbage. But this is what Paul says. Listen to his words in verse 18. If Christ is not raised from the dead, then deceased believers, believers, they're damned. Here's what he says. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If Christ is not raised from the dead, this pie-in-the-sky idea that these people have gone up to heaven and are living with God is absolute nonsense. That's what materialism is probably the best we can hope for. Materialism means is this: there is no soul, there is no spirit to this body, it's just a body, and when I die, I go back to the dirt. I become worm food. That's the best you can hope for. And if Jesus Christ is not raised from the dead, the best you can hope for is you become worm food. You aren't going to heaven. You're going to the worms but it gets worse. Here's the worst one of all. Verse 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. If Jesus Christ is not raised from the dead, living the Christian life is pathetic. It is pitiful. Why in the world would you ever live as a Christian if there's no resurrection from the dead. Remember, in Paul's day, people like himself, because he came out and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, what did he get for that? Persecution, ostracized from his family, poverty, suffering, martyrdom, and death. That's what he got. Why in the world, if if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, why would you fight temptation? Give in, turkeys. Give in to temptation. Why fight it? Why would you struggle against sin? Every one of us struggle against sin. But why bother struggling against sin if Christ isn't raised from the dead? Why in the world do you seek to please Jesus if there's no resurrection from the dead? Why would you ever try to obey Christ? Why would you carry a cross? Carry a flower, not a cross. Why would you suffer reproach? For what? You see, we make sacrifices because we're Christians, but those sacrifices are stupid if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. We take risks because we're Christians, but those risks are ridiculous if Jesus isn't raised from the dead. We have all these bizarre rituals. You wouldn't do any of them if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. Basically, Paul said, you have thrown your life away. If you live as a Christian, then Jesus is not raised from the dead. So what's the alternative? 
Well, the alternative is obvious. It is the alternative that is embraced by almost all of America today. It's called hedonism, which means that's our religion. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. You only go around once in life, so grab for all the gusto you can get. Follow your heart. Find and be your true self. Do what makes you happy. Those are all the bywords of our culture. And if Jesus is not raised from the dead, they're right. That's the way you should live your life. Live for today. Live for yourself. Live for what makes you happy. So Paul says, if there's no bodily resurrection, then... Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. We have no Christ in Christianity. Then the gospel message that we preach is meaningless. The apostles who wrote our New Testament are liars. Sin, which we think God has dealt with through Jesus on the cross, is is a failure. Deceased, quote-unquote, believers, they're just worm food. Come on, be honest. And Christians are pitiful people if Christ is not raised from the dead. Verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He has been writing theoretically, and now he is going to write historically over and over and over again. And I can never say it enough times Christianity is history. Christianity is not some prophet in a cave telling us what they learned from God. I wouldn't put much stock in that, to be honest with you. Christianity is not some person under a a Bodhi tree saying that he figured out enlightenment. It's not someone sitting in an ivory tower telling you how to live a wise life. Christianity is history. It's things that have happened on this planet that are verifiable, that are documentable, that before any court of objective people would be shown to be objective, true history. Here's the proclamation. Same chapter. Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised the third day according to the scriptures. There's the gospel. Where's the evidence? That's what comes next. And he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. We have more than 12 documented examples of of people to whom or groups to whom Jesus appeared for 40 days after he was raised from the dead. Those appearances have quantity behind them. About 600 documented people, most of whom could still be questioned when Paul wrote this. The quality of them is incredible. Remember, who are these people who saw Jesus? What do we, what does this culture demand if you are convicted or you are brought before the court for a crime? What does our country demand? You have a trial before your, why not a trial before the experts? What about a trial before the scholars? No, why do we say, I want a trial before my peers? 
I don't want the academics. I don't want the experts. I don't want the scholars. I don't want the lawyers. I want my peers, people who understand me, who have walked in my shoes. Every one of these people is their peers. These are not the academics. These are not the elites. These are not the religious ideologies. These are not the philosophers. These are people, normal people like Peter, John, Andrew, Mary. That's who they are, normal people. A jury of their peers, numbering around 600. Not only the quality, but you have diversity. You've got men, you've got women, you've got rich, you've got poor. You've got physicality. They touched him. They saw him. They heard him. They ate with him. They maybe smelled his body odor. Who knows what they did? I don't know if they tasted him, but they surely tasted fish with him. That's what the Bible says. And it happened over a period of, of, oh, many days, 40 days. And remember, most of these witnesses, maybe all of them were skeptical. These were not easy believers, including his own family. There is not a court of law in the entire world that would not declare, based on the evidence, that the bodily resurrection of Jesus is beyond reasonable doubt. The only religion in the history of the world that is based on events that took place in history that are beyond a reasonable doubt. Do you know who set up the Harvard Law School? His name is Simon Greenleaf. Here's what he said. The resurrection is one of the best supported events in human history. I think they forgot that in Harvard. And so what are the implications? Since Christ has been raised from the dead, Jesus' resurrection is the central historical fact of our faith. Our faith is based on the resurrection of Jesus, the historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. Since Christ has been raised from the dead, the gospel message is dynamite. That's what it says. This is what Paul wrote. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the dynamite of God. It's the power of God unto salvation to anyone who believes. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. Not a righteousness that we procure, that we buy, that we become religious enough. Our righteousness is something given to us by God, not something that we give to God. It's totally different. That's dynamite. Since Christ has been raised from the dead, the apostles' eyewitness accounts are extraordinarily significant. And we can trust that what he, they wrote is true. Since Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the sin problem, prohibiting the possibility of any of us entering heaven, has been solved. Since Christ has been raised from the dead, there is legitimate hope that we can join him in heaven. Since Christ has been raised from the dead, living an authentic Christian life is to be envied, not pitied. That's huge. Yaroslav Pelikan wrote this. If Christ is risen, nothing else matters. And if Christ is not risen, nothing else matters. Christianity is only one thing. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. If that's true, it's all that matters. We don't need to imagine (laughs) there's a heaven because we have someone that walked on this planet who came from there, who went back there, who's there now, and invites us to join him. Who gets to join him? God made it pretty simple. Here is the gospel, A, B, C, A. 
You acknowledge your sin, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What does God demand of us? He demands honesty. We must tell the truth about who we really are. If we don't do that, God says, I'm sorry. You're, a lie. You're lying to yourself. That's a very bad thing to do. B, believe that what Jesus did on the cross and that he said he would offer to us as a free gift is in fact true. And you trust him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And three, C, confess that. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what the Bible says. There's no better Sunday, no better day in all the yearly calendar to commit your life to Jesus Christ than Resurrection Sunday morning. And if you don't know Jesus, there are a bunch of us here who would consider it one of the greatest privileges we could ever have today to introduce you to this one who died on the cross for our sins and walked and bolted from the grave. There's a Muslim in Africa who became a Christian, and he was asked by fellow Muslims, for, why did he change religions? And this is what he said. I suppose it's like this. If you were walking and came to a fork in the road, and at the fork were two men, one was dead and the other was alive, which would you ask for directions? Muhammad's dead. So are all these other religious hucksters. But Jesus is alive. Christianity is not in the same camp as any of those at all. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven. Oh, you made it really pointed. Take us back to the very, very start of our faith. When our Lord Jesus walked out of that tomb, how you could be so, so powerful, so direct, so, so incredible. We don't know. But even more, why would you do it? Why would you even bother coming here? We all messed up pretty bad, badly. We don't, we don't even like to follow you very much. We want to do our own thing. And yet you came and you lived and you died and you rose from the dead and you gave us the Holy Spirit and you went to heaven and you intercede for us and you're coming back for us and you want to spend eternity with us. That's stunning. Oh, Father in heaven, please, Holy Spirit, don't let anyone leave this room today who doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, please, for your sake, because you want to fill heaven with every human being possible, and we'd love that too. Thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for the empty tomb. Pray in his name. Amen.